0: Hello, Georges Colinet, with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. This month, we feature Zimbabwe, in recognition of an important new book just out from Duke University Press. Lion Songs, Thomas Mapfumo and the Music That Made Zimbabwe by Afropop's own Banning Air. It's the product of over 20 years of research and an epic tour through music and history. So today, we bring you an encore edition of our Hip Deep program, Thomas Mapfumo, The War Years.
1: Quiet <laughs> Zimbabwe.
0: April 1980, after a long bloody Liberation War, Zimbabweans celebrated their independence. And if there was one sound that captured the mood of triumph and optimism at that moment, it might have been Thomas Mapfumo and the Blacks Unlimited, performing modernized Shona traditional music in the song Kwaitzamu Zimbabwe. It has dawned in Zimbabwe. <laughs> Thomas came a long way from his rural childhood in Rhodesia to sing this song in 1980 and today we're going to hear from Zimbabweans who participated in the 1970s struggle and the rise of Thomas Mapfumo. We'll also get the perspective of ethnomusicologist Thomas Turino, author of Nationalists, Cosmopolitans and Popular Music in Zimbabwe. We've got vintage Mapfumo music you've never heard before, as well as rare audio from the Zimbabwe National Archives. Compliments of Professor Torino. To start, imagine turning on the radio in a Rhodesian city in 1960. You might hear something like this. Bulawayo's golden rhythm crooners doing Ain't That Just Like a Woman?
2: They was all them apples a the man could be Ba-ya. They've got to mess with that whole apple tree And Ba-ya. they're just
1: like woman Ba-ba-ya. And they're just like woman Yeah, they're just like woman They'll do it every time
3: Ba-ya. 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 Ba-ya.
4: There was no consciousness amongst our artists. Thomas Mapfumo Very few of them wrote their own music that time and everything the radio uh, uh, played was foreign. Politics was very low that time. People never thought of that. People were colonized. They never believed in themselves. They thought the white man was superior. He was untouchable, was like God to some other African people.
5: But let me say this, and I think this is important. Ethnomusicologist Thomas Torino. There was a kind of macro-historical narrative that said colonialism rubbed out indigenous Shona music and dance. And it was replaced by modern so-called music and dance, jazz, and and these other cosmopolitan styles coming in. I don't agree with that view. I think that the indigenous music making was powerful throughout the colonial period. It remains powerful today. It's just in another cultural formation in other places. It's in what were called the tribal trust lands earlier on, in rural areas, and in working class townships.
0: This is surely the best-known example of Zimbabwe's indigenous music, the Shona Mbira. The late Mbira player, Efat Mujuru, said that at the same time Rhodesian pop musicians were playing jazz and rock and roll, there was also a roots revival going on in working-class townships like Mbare. Indeed, the music had not been rubbed out, but it had often been discouraged, especially by missionaries skeptical of its use in Shona religion. In the early days of the liberation struggle, indigenous music took on the political significance. Yes, let me tell you, people
6: wanted to know what has happened in our history, and in our people. People began to have the pride of their music. At that, that time, you could almost see everybody. You know, like when you go to the Mbari, you know, you'll be surprised to see how many people holding Mbira. I'm telling you from what I saw, that was it that explosion, which was very dynamic, very powerful. That was the time of which we give the credit to our nationalists, because they had brought the awareness to the people, some of the police. They tried to ban this the Mbira, stop playing the Mbira here, but we didn't stop. <laughs> the more they said, the more we played. But then after that, the police people, they began to be interested too. They could also come for the dancing, you know, when they take off their uniform. Says, you know, I'm a policeman, but I like the music.
5: Actually, Zimbabwe has a lot of different types of musical traditions, probably with dance, drumming, and uh, choral traditions being the most common, but it was really the mbira that caught the international imagination. Because I think that its sound produced a particularly good fit with cosmopolitan aesthetics, it had a familiar aspect to it, a sweet aspect that fit our aesthetics, and yet at the same time, it was distinctive.
0: Tom Turino on AfroPop Worldwide's Thomas Mapfumo: The War Years. I'm Georges Collinet. Thomas Mapfumo's achievement, like Zimbabwe's, was to bring things that had long been separated together: mbira, dance drumming traditions, rock and roll, jazz, and the politics of the time. All this and more would eventually find a home in Thomas's music, which he would one day name after the liberation struggle, Chimurenga. But his life began far from the city and its cosmopolitan trends. Here is how Thomas described his childhood when Afropop first met him in 1988.
4: I grew up in the communal lands, which used to be called the reserves, I mean, reserved for the African people to live. I grew up under the guidance of uh, uh, a grandfather and grandmother. I was a head boy, actually, heading cat I spent most of my time doing that And um, too many functions used to happen during that time, like uh, where people could brew up some African beer. A lot of people would gather around and uh, start singing, I mean, traditional songs and some uh, playing drums. And also Mbira music. In that part of the country where I grew up, a lot of this music was being played because the people in that area uh, believed so much in their uh, medium spirits. Uh, These people, when they are possessed with the spirits of their ancestors, they are supposed to look after their families or the people living in that area. People can go there and spend, like, uh, say, uh, a week playing beer music and praying for the rains to come. And they are told things that they must do if there is any beer to be brewed, if there are any uh, goats to be slaughtered or cows to be slaughtered, so these things are done. This is the reason why I am into this
0: kind of music today. In the mid 50s, Thomas moved to Mabvuku, a suburb of Harare, then called Salisbury. Rhodesia had existed for barely 50 years, but it had already produced a black middle class who went to church read English literature, listened to jazz and rumba from the Congo, and even enjoyed ballroom dancing. Thomas had known none of this on his grandparents' farm, but now, sitting by his radio, he got an earful. In the rural areas, there was nothing like
4: radio music. So, uh, when I came to stay in Mavuku, that's the time I actually started listening to a lot of top artists, groups from uh, South Africa, many brothers, Miriam Akeba, swing stars. There was good soul by people like Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, Aretha Framing, the other soul, I mean, stars in those years. Rock roll was introduced. There were people like Elvis Presley, Little Richard, Billy Haley. Then came the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Chicago, Francisco oh. Authority. Jimi Hendrix experience. Blood, sweat and tears. Groups like Jethro Tao. <laughs> well, we thought they were just you know, excellent. They were very, very good. Then, well, African music, music from Congo. John Bokelo, sure. uh, Franco, and the other old Roomba stars.
1: <laughs> Those
4: were actually good times. But, uh, Music in, th- in this country, though some people were actually trying to uh, sort of sing in Shona, they actually hadn't found their, I mean, identity. We saw a lot of groups emerge like uh, the Golden Rhythm Crooners, the Cool Fours, Capital City Dixies, Deep black Even Follies, Seed Quads, Tri to create African jazz. The music was good, but you could see that, you know, (laughs) the beat wasn't African.
5: One really popular group beginning in the 1940s, uh, but all the way through the beginning 1960s was a group called the Black Evening Follies. And they spelled that dead Black Evening Follies almost in imitation of dialect coming out of the minstrel tradition in the United States. So the Black Evening Follies, they performed in situations that were polite, middle-class sit-down concerts in recreation halls in the urban townships for middle-class audiences. And one of the things that people always told me was these concerts were so polite that you could take your mother-in-law, which is the acid test in Zimbabwe, to respectability. As time goes on, as rock and roll hits the world, in the late 1950s, the Black Evening Follies were one of the first groups to play rock and roll. Say around 1958 to 1962, you could have heard in the same uh, Black Evening Follies concert a Mills Brothers performance, styled performance, and a performance imitating Little Richard or Elvis Presley.
0: No surprise that when Thomas Mapfumo started singing in the 1960s, he too went for rock and roll. Here he is with the Springfields, channeling Ray Charles on a 1967 version of Lonely Avenue.
5: Asma begins to learn cosmopolitan musical styles as a teenager he could have obviously turned to recordings and the radio and hear these recordings from afar but what's interesting to me is he also had local models. Young Zimbabweans could go to these concerts in the city and hear local performers doing rock and roll. So this is, again, this notion of cosmopolitanism, it had formed its own roots in this place. Young Zimbabweans could learn from older Zimbabweans these traditions not as foreign things, but as local.
0: The 50s saw the dawn of cosmopolitan publications like African Parade, a magazine whose writers
5: were all over the emerging jazz and rock and roll scene. And what was also interesting is that when they talked about indigenous music, they talked about it almost as if that was the foreign style. They exhibited a lack of understanding of mbira music, shona dance drumming music, and so on. And I don't believe that this was trying to deny their roots. I believe that this was actually the product of their own upbringing. They didn't know this music. They grew up in Mission Station lands or in middle-class households, Christian households, where this music was not performed. It wasn't common.
0: Poet Musa Zimunia grew up and was educated in this environment. Looking back, he has a lot to say about the cultural messages he received. In the
7: traditional historical scholarship of this country, very few historians have made the effort to understand what was happening. Because I personally remember uh, the new exciting songs coming up in the 50s. They were songs about the... Uh, white folks. And you have to call an answer, and it's saying, mother and father, look what we are doing now. We are leaning on each other with the whites, meaning to say that uh, we are one thing with the whites. That's what they were selling. I probably felt a slight inclination to accept the idea that we could actually live with white folks, you know, um, because uh, the white folks lived well. One of the most desperate problems for all colonized people, I think, is the desire to be accepted by the colonizer. You know, it was very strong within us. Uh, so when we learned English, we was to learn it so well, to speak it so well, that they would recognize in us human beings, you know. Uh, you know, there's you speak Shona only, you're a monkey. You, know. uh, you speak English, you, you're, you know, you civilized. It was, a, it was a, such a desperate enterprise. But then, there was a lot of talk. I can remember voices, anxious voices, about what was going on in the towns. There were riots here, now and then. And it was scary when they said there was a strike. Strike in the city. It was like I didn't know what was going on, like some big thing was smashing
0: the city. At his home in Mbari, Thomas Mapfumo experienced the unrest of the early 60s firsthand. Let's talk about Mbari and, you
4: know, and Highfield. They were actually surrounded. Barbed wire was put around fields so that people were not going to escape from the law. A truck would come with a, a loudspeaker, start shouting to the people to come out out of their houses and make a line. Then they could bring in a lorry full of policemen, start uh, inspecting the line, looking at people's faces. And if he thinks he might have seen you somewhere where people were throwing stones, grab your hand and say, follow me. Have you ever seen my face somewhere else? said, oh, no, I don't recognize you. Oh, it's, and you don't recognize me? But I recognize you. I, <laughs> I recognize you. I saw you throwing stones. So uh, follow me. Do you follow You are taken to a tent where there are some authorities writing, I mean, making a list of names of people who have been arrested, actually. And all these people are going to be sent to, to detention. No trial. Just like
2: that.
0: Among the Springfields recordings Tom Turino found in the Zimbabwe National Archives were songs Thomas sung in Shona. This 1966 tune hints at the sound he would later perfect with the Black Sun Limited. Don Torino emphasizes the separate worlds that existed for urban cosmopolitans and various indigenous groups around Rhodesia. How these groups came together is the untold story of the liberation struggle. The nationalist campaign slogan might have been. It's the culture, stupid.
5: Colonial government-controlled radio actually went out of their way in the post-World War II era to record all types of indigenous dance drumming, choral music, popular music, and beat music, and they aired this on the radio every day. Why did they do this? Out of love for indigenous music? Probably not. They wanted to keep listeners tuned in to the government-controlled radio so they wouldn't tune in to Radio Moscow or something. But all these traditions were linked to a particular region and to a particular group. When the radio picks them up and starts airing them widely, they begin to cross those regional boundaries, and people begin to know traditions from other regions. And in a funny way they helped promote the same process that nationalists themselves would try to promote, which is to break down regional and so-called tribal barriers to get Zimbabweans to think of themselves as one group. Well, the radio had an impact in that. That made the difference, but also for us to be recorded,
6: it was through our ancestors who had been playing for quite a long time. These people, they were known even before the radio. There are some houses that have kept the traditions even how difficult it was. the other families that lost the traditions, but then they had to catch up. The people who kept the traditions were the ones who were recorded, but those who lost the traditions, sometimes, you know, they kept themselves hiding.
0: Efat Mujuru, By the way, Efat's family was one of those who kept their traditions and were recorded for radio. When he talks about musicians having to catch up, he's on to something. The more people heard all these different kinds of music from their radios, the more pressure they put on local musicians to cover a variety of styles. Even solo guitarists busking on trains and in small bars had to know their stuff. Thomas Torino.
5: These itinerant guitarists could do all sorts of styles as they had to 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 please their audiences who they were working for for tips. So they could do Roomba, they could do uh, South African popular music, but some of them came out of, of just playing uh, indigenous village music. Some had been bow players, some had been mbira players. And they would just adapt that music that they already knew uh, to the acoustic guitar. So there was one man, for instance, uh, John Como, who played acoustic guitar with a bottleneck or slide, like Delta Blues players would in the United States. But he played mbira music.
1: I don't
2: know my I'm
7: I am not a man. I
1: am not a man. I am
2: not a a a a
0: Once again, Thomas Mapfumo and the Springfields with the 1966 version of the Shona traditional song Chemtengure. Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide's Thomas Mapfumo, The War Years. You can read our complete interview with Tom Turino and see great photographs of bygone musical days in Zimbabwe on our website, afropop.org. In
2: 1972,
0: the most violent phase of the liberation struggle began. Thomas Mapfumo left Salisbury and went to live at the Mangura copper mine. The location was remote, but at Mangura, Thomas would make history. Here he is telling the story to a university audience in 1991.
4: We went there to form a band, and the band was called Hallelujah Chicken Run because most of the band members were working at the Chicken Run. Uh, well, Hallelujah Chicken Run was a new band and with new music, with new ideas. We decided to compose our own music, which we decided to call Afro-rock. We were uh, actually uh, trying to imitate groups like uh, Osibisa. I composed this type of music and we, we recorded it. And there was only one tune that was not Afro-rock. It was uh, really, I mean, Zimbabwean traditional tune. Out of all the singles that we recorded, that single is the only one that people accepted and they thought it was a good record because this record was militant, it was
8: about the war. That was the very first song. Uh, but my area is, uh, the drums are playing.
0: Emmanuel Vori recalling his first days working at the Teal Record Company, which released all the early Thomas Mapfumo singles.
8: Now normally what used to happen in the past you know if the guys are going to war you'd all gather together and you give them a send-off sort of and drums would be the main instrument being played so it was meaning to say we are going the guys in the libraries knew what the songs were all about
0: With N'goma Yarira, it wasn't just the words that hit home. This was the first popular song to bring together all the elements of the emerging mbira pop sound. Joshua Lomayi Dube was lead guitarist in the Alleluia Chicken Run band and helped Thomas create N'goma Yarira. You know, mbira Mbira music, uh, to me, was a very
9: familiar tune because my father played mbira. So one day I was just playing the guitar, you know, at the rehearsals. When I started playing a tune, Mbira tune. It was a very nice tune. And Thomas said to me, ah, Look, I think we can do that song together. I can sing. So said, Okay, come and sing. That's when we started playing Mbira music on the guitar, me and Thomas. That's our first single, Ngo Mayarira. The, the drum is sounding the same. You know, I got interested in playing that guitar because Thomas kept on saying to me, Josh, let's do more of these songs. Since we have already started with the the one I was playing, that's when all started. Long back, that um, staccato playing, and you see. And when we played that song, everybody at the club, they went mad,
0: they went mad. Here's Thomas Mapfumo and the Alleluia Chicken Run Band, with Ngoma Yarira. The lead vocal is sung by the bass man, Robert Nekati, but there's no mistaking Thomas's voice on the response.
2: Gain ndi bayou, ye wo ye are. If you were
3: good enough
2: in your family Your parents did not know a lot If you were better for them Your γ Family If you were better for you Your parents did not know you were You wanted it, you wanted You ye ye wo ye. Ye you you you
3: you 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 ye. you you you
2: Yeho, you, 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 I got cigarette at and I a you,
0: Two songs heard as a call to war in Zimbabwe's liberation struggle. Murembo and its flip side Ngoma Yarira. a breakthrough 1974 single for Thomas Mapfumo and the Yallelujah Chicken Run Band. I'm Georges Codinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. When the Alleluia Chicken Run band began releasing singles, Thomas Mapfumo learned a valuable lesson. The people picked Ngoma Yarira, he said. They didn't want Afro rock, they wanted their own music. And from that point on, Thomas's days at the Mangura copper mine were numbered. Emmanuel Vori recalls how Teal Records worked hard to free their budding star from his contract with the mine.
8: Thomas, obviously, because he was getting popular, he wanted his freedom to move around and have shows elsewhere, but they wouldn't allow him, he could only play at the mine. And of course, we also wanted him to go onto tour nationwide to promote his records. We realized we'd make a lot more money that way. The white uh, mine managers and our white bosses here, they sat down and they came to an agreement and Thomas was allowed to leave the mine. That's when he got his freedom. With Thomas obviously being revolutionary in music, we could not get it played on radio. What Grammar did is they procured two discos and they got DJs to play the music around in the townships. And of course, Thomas was performing live and he was always on the road. And it just spread like wildfire. I mean, the people knew what they wanted. And the guys, once the guys in the record bars ordered, they never stopped playing them.
0: As the war heated up, the Rhodesian censors began paying more attention to popular singers, and frequently the record company was caught in the middle.
8: Put it this way, they, the guys who were like in the libraries where the people who received the records from the companies, they knew exactly what the music was about because they were our guys anyway, they knew what was going down. But it took them quite a while to turn the music over to their seniors who then were like in the censor board. From then on, everything that was done by Thomas was heavily censored. 76, 77, that was the height of Thomas' music, especially the revolutionary music.
7: At that time, they could feel that something was new in the air and that the music was changing.
0: Poet Musa Zimunia.
7: The novelty of it, the novelty of it. Of all this music, this African music, which was almost lost, this guy is retrieving it and he's making it phenomenally entertaining on stage. But of course it wasn't entertaining in the sense that you would jump for joy and go wild. But it made you brood over what's happening, given the background of what's going on in the country. Things like this never
2: happened.
0: Musa was a distant relative of Thomas's and a student at the university. When he joined demonstrations against the white regime he became a target for the police and sometimes took refuge at thomas's family home in mbare there he saw a different side of this rising musical star
7: thomas really struggled you know uh, it's one thing that people don't appreciate because they don't know there was a time thomas when when i used the word drifter i use it very specifically to refer to a kind of apparent despair and aimlessness that seemed to haunt him. But he drank beer. He smoked cigarettes. Very shy. Thomas is very shy. He had a sort of elusive face, eyes. You thought you were talking to him, and then he wasn't. You were not talking to him. It's my my, my rec- earliest recollection. I wanted him to say something to me, you know, because I was b- very curious, you know. When,
0: like a young, Thomas had left the chicken run band and spent the next year moving in and out of different groups and clubs around the city. Eventually, he teamed up with guitarist Jonas Itole and they went to Mutare along Zimbabwe's border with Mozambique. There, they formed the original Blacks Unlimited and set about polishing their act away from the bright lights of Salisbury. One of Jonah's tasks was to master the art of Mbira guitar.
10: What I did first was put a disc, Mbira disc, and listen to it, try and copy the, the sounds, to see if it can be possible for me to produce a similar sound like Mbira on a guitar. Well, it took a long time, you see. But there, along the line, I met uh, Thomas Manfuma and the Black Unlimited. Even well, we met each other many, many times. So I would rather say he was an influence as well to my guitar playing. His type of composing helps me to create some kind of playing to go along with his tunes. It was his singing, so you need some notes from the guitar to accompany the, that kind of toasting. In fact, this is what inspired me. It's good to realize, oh, there is something, someone following me behind, and then his morale is boosted, you
1: see.
11: I always remember, Thomas was uh, denouncing youngsters who sing foreign music and they have always chuckled that this day when I first
0: saw Thomas, he was singing a Beatles song. <laughs> Jeffrey Nyarota is one of Zimbabwe's most accomplished journalists and his memory of Thomas goes all the way back to 1964 when he heard the young singer belting out a version of I Feel Fine at a wedding in Mbari. A decade later, Jeffrey was a young school teacher living near the Mozambique border. On weekends he used to come to Mutare to see the Black Sun Limited play.
11: Jonas Tole was there, this youngster playing an unusual lead guitar, and that is what made Thomas very popular. You listened to the guitar and what you heard was the sound of bimbira. By this time, Thomas was obviously much older. He was now a more mature musician, more charismatic. He had an identity then as Thomas Mapfumo, the musician. But I could see that he was feeling successful. No, he just went on stage to see, as if he was conscious now that he was a big man. To me, the new Thomas Mapfumo's career dates back to those shows, because guys used to drive all the way from Harare to spend the weekend in Mutare to go and listen to Thomas. They were now preparing us for the future, for the new country, where our own identity would be paramount, because up up to that time, we, we, we did not have a real identity. We were like a confused people. We listened to the Beatles, we danced to, to, to the Rolling Stones, we, including Thomas Mafumo. But from about this time, our identity is changing and our music is also changing. And Thomas Mafumo is spearheading this process. By the time I was in, in university, early 70s, our music was Deep Pebble, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. So for Thomas to go off on it, it was very brave because he took a chance. Nobody was listening to that kind of music. <laughs>
0: In 1977, Thomas returned to Salisbury and wound up working with a group called Acid Band with Leonard Pickett Chiangwa on lead guitar. This group took Thomas to new heights of popularity. He kept his focus on the liberation struggle, scoring huge hits with sly political lyrics. Rhodesian Prime Minister Ian Smith had declared that there wouldn't be a black government in his country not in a thousand years. Thomas responded joyfully with Pamro Mochete, that's just mere talk.
3: mutina, <laughs>
0: With the acid band, it was hit after hit. Thomas took to describing the hardship of life in the rural areas during the war. And using village music, he played the heart strings of city dwellers who worried about their relatives on the land. Everybody had their favorite song.
7: The song that, to me, represented a rival for Thomas Mafumo was Tojiriwa Kupiko. Musa I was in England and somebody sent me the records. I didn't realize was Jonah playing that guitar, but it was like Thomas had arrived.
0: Tojireva kupika is a prayer. Lord, who can I share my frustrations with? In the context of war, it conveyed the fear of confiding in others, but also spiritual pain, a sense of being separated from the past. <laughs>
5: As the 70s progress, Thomas Torino. One of the stories about Thomas is that he always couched his political lyrics in oblique terms so that he wouldn't be picked up in the country. Well, in some cases that's true. In some cases they were pretty clear, I thought, and pretty bold. A
0: prime example, Timura Vanakuhondo, Send your children to war. <laughs> Teal records manager, Tony Rivet, took a lot of heat for this song. He pointed out to the government censors that Thomas had got it from the Rhodesian army. It's a bloody marching song, he told them.
4: That is the truth soldiers used to sing this song whilst they are marching.
0: But as Thomas well knew, Send Your Children to War came off a bit differently when he sang it. Rivette also claimed that he sometimes begged Thomas to change his lyrics to keep the censors off their backs.
4: He never said nothing. I mean, like that to me because he knew uh, what sort of a character I was. I wasn't going to change anything. But he, he, what he's saying, I mean, uh, is true because uh, they came to him. That's exactly what happened. To me, that was a record that put me into a lot of trouble. One morning. We took a drive to Wedza with this guy who had been sent by the fighters. They actually wanted to see us and maybe discuss about music. And the war itself, were they winning or losing? They were very confident that they were actually winning. Because they managed to cross into Mozambique and now they were all over uh, Rhodesia. And they also actually thanked us for our support, for supporting them through our music. Nobody ever knew that we met those people. In
0: 1978, Thomas once again joined forces with Jonah Sitole to form the band that would carry him into history. We can't seem to part, said Jonah, so we might as well make the best of it. They reverted to the name they had used in Mutari, the Blacks Unlimited, and got to work.
2: We abra wasi namucha. Iwe abra wasi namucha, aywe. We abra wasi namucha. Wakuru epano varibi watuta sano. Che mere seku no ziri bita jiru matzeve. Haramba seku no ziri no sano
0: by this time bishop abel muzorewa was running for prime minister as part of a deal with ian smith muzorewa had been a hero among black rhodesians when he used his religious authority to condemn white rule but now he was entering a deal with the devil Campaigning for an internal settlement that would exclude the guerrillas fighting from bases in Zambia and Mozambique. This was the situation when Thomas had his fateful run in with the authorities.
4: I got into problems, that was in 1979. I was arrested at a um, busy police station in a in high field. Where we got there, this black policeman in, in plain clothes was waiting for us. He showed me some uh, forms to sign, and then he read I mean, a statement to me that I was actually under arrest. I've been arrested for my music. It was only Friday. We were supposed to play at Mshantrapamu. People were packed, waiting for me. And then, Tuesday, came a white policeman. He took me to Chukrubi, to that maximum prison. I was detained there. A lot of uh, uh, plain-clothes policemen came to me, uh, to interrogate me. Uh, there were a lot of music, some music from sex uh, and the other singers. They were just saying, this all music is your music. I said, this is not all my music. And I kept saying that uh, the music that I actually played was the Shona traditional music. That was part and parcel of my culture.
3: So, well, they were
4: finally convinced that, you know, I had no case to answer. So what they did was to say, when you get out of prison, we want you to go and play at Bishop Musorewa's Rally, which was being held in Blawayo. Some band members didn't want to go to have anything to do with that rally. And I told them that, you know, we could face a lot of harassment. We are just a band we are not the, the guerrillas from the, from the bush. We don't have any arms to defend ourselves. When we got there to Bulawayo, we played our revolutionary music. Well, what annoyed me was the next morning when I actually went to buy the paper, there was a picture of me with Bishop Muzorewa. They wanted to make the whole country believe that I actually had abandoned the struggle But that wasn't so, because the music never changed.
0: Musorewa adopted this Black Sun Limited song, Butsu Mutandarika, as his campaign theme. The song was even broadcast from helicopters, as they tried to persuade guerrillas to give up their arms and come home. Musorewa won his election, but his government was doomed to a short life. Some now condemned Thomas as a sellout, but he kept on singing about the struggle, as in this song, Tichakunda, We Shall Overcome. Thomas sings, This is Harare, the famous Harare. Our lives are a round of poverty. Our houses are like foul runs. We sleep like rats. Our children at school, we beg for their meals. But we will win in the end. Funding for APOPOP Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes that a great nation deserves great art, the William H. Donner Foundation, the Nathan Cummings Foundation, and PRI. Public Radio International affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Additional support for Afropop Worldwide comes from Six Degrees Records, presenting Egyptian Project, a collaboration between master musicians from Cairo and a young French producer who mix the sounds of the Nile Delta and Cairo with the ambiances of trip-hop, electro, and hip-hop. More information... SixDegreesRecords.com By the end of 1979, the Lancaster House talks in London had put an end to Muserewa's government. The guerrillas came home from the bush. And in March 1980, Robert Mugabe was elected to lead Zimbabwe. Among the many expatriates returning from exile abroad was the poet Musazimunia. I immediately
7: sought contact, spiritual contact. And the first spiritual contact I had was not with my mother and my family, but with Black Sun Limited in 1980. And what I remember is just walking into the dressing room. And I, I introduced myself, and I was a great joy. Everything is glowing in this instance. If I had taken a photograph, it would similarly be so glowing. Because they were wearing white, like uh, the Commodore's, all white and you know, bell buttons, And the combo was complete. And my greatest joy was to see how compact an African Zimbabwean Shona band could be in presenting its own music. Ha. And now to come back and watch the same person who might seen six years, only six years before. As a struggling artist, with no band of his own, just a pretender getting too old before he's achieved anything, that's what I feared for him when I left. And I had to come back to find that
0: he had his own combo. And boy, it was the
7: punchiest thing
0: I'd ever known. For Thomas, though, there was one more hurdle to overcome the Independence Day celebration in Rufaro Stadium.
4: Some people didn't, didn't even want to invite us, but some uh, government top officials insisted we actually had to be there. We got there by 8 o'clock. Bob Marley did his own act, and uh, that incident when tear gas was thrown and uh, Bob Marley's head ran off the stage. Well, After a while, Mali came back, everyone was actually mesmerized. Music was so good. And when uh, Mali finished, it was time for the local bands to play. And we were put at the last. We thought uh, maybe this time we were going to hear our name uh, being called out. Never. At the last, our name was actually shouted out. Every head of state had gone, every important, I mean, Jack and Jill had gone home. We were left with the Freedom Fighters only and some other interested fans of ours. So we played our music, the same music that we used to play for the people during the struggle, those fighters enjoyed us. I mean, dancing with their AKs, we were not disappointed because we didn't go in there to play for the rich people. We actually had enjoyed ourselves. It was a, a very good morning when we started at five o'clock, Played up to about half past six. To us, that was very good.
0: Before we go, I want to point out that there were other great and important singers at Zimbabwe's liberation struggle, especially Comrade Chinks, Zeksi Manetsa, and Oliver Tukutsi. In our focus on Thomas Mapfumo, we mean them no disrespect, but there is something special about Thomas's career in the 1970s. Musa Zimunya put it this way: "What I think is that Thomas
7: is a passionate artist, and in the 70s, especially, he was uh, on a crusade. Once in a while, you get these people who must symbolise the vision, the cultural vision of a community." Walt Whitman wasn't such a wonderful politician, but he was a great poet. Thomas it was a welcome arrival on the, on the cultural scene of someone who had an integrated vision. The political revolution was inseparable from the Cultural Revolution. And he himself single handedly more or less, made it a respectable revolution. I'm not saying that Oliver didn't play his part, or the Green Arrows, they certainly played their part. But they didn't have quite the same, I wouldn't call it bitterness,
5: passion. Hmm. Our final word goes to Tom Torino. Professional performers are always guided by and influenced by the tastes and desires of their audience, and so they should be. What's interesting to me, in the Thomas Mapfumo case, is that the same combination of the distinctively local, represented by indigenous musical genres, such as dance drumming and mbira and so on, combined with the cosmopolitan, with electric band instrumentation. That very same combination was the combination that was created by the nationalists in the end of the 1950s, that worked with Thomas's mature style in the 1970s, and the same combination that worked with cosmopolitan audiences in London, in New York, in Tokyo, in the 80s and 90s. And the only way that I can understand that link is that in fact, while we think of Zimbabwe as one culture and the U.S. as another culture and Japan as another culture, actually all this was happening within the same cosmopolitan cultural formation. One of the things I was struck by when I worked in Zimbabwe was, there were a lot of electric bands doing indigenous genres. And the more conservative indigenous musicians often rejected these attempts. But they always said to me, Thomas got it right. He was the one person who could really do the indigenous music in these band formats and get it right. And I believe that he was able to be so creative and produce such beautiful music because he himself had internalized these two aesthetics fully and in him were combined in a unique way. And that's what we get with his music.
0: Thank you, Tom Torino, for your insights and your amazing archival recordings. Remember, you can read our complete interview with Tom and see vintage photographs on our website, afropop.org. Thanks also to Emmanuel Vori and Sami Redjeb for digging out your own rare singles. And thank you, Thomas, for your awesome contribution to Afropop all these years. Finally, we honor especially those who spoke on this program, who are no longer with us. Efat Mujuru, Jonas Itole, and Joshua Dube. May you rest in peace. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research co-production for this program by Banning Air. Banning also edits our website, afropop.org. And by the way, Banning, congratulations on your new book, Lion Songs, Thomas Mapfumo and the music that made Zimbabwe. A great contribution. Our chief audio engineer and co-producer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Mike Kaplan and Stéphanie Lebeau. And I'm Georges Codinet.